For those of you who are watching, um, and, and Riley is, we just had a short conversation about this, um, I chose some of the same verses from last week for this week, because it fit. And uh, he thought that maybe I just copied and pasted. I do that, and I, then I delete all the verses, and then I go back through Isaiah and some other places, and I, I find certain pieces that I think fit. And I found out I had selected the same verse again. And it, I, I w thought about changing it, and I spent about 20 minutes looking around. I said, nope, that verse belongs, so it's going to stay there. So it did. All right. I wanted to say thank you to all of you who ended up praying for our son Shane. It was a great relief he didn't have COVID. He came into contact with a friend of his on Sunday, so it would be two weeks ago today, and uh, that had it. And so Department of Health um, in Ventura County, where he lives, called him up, said, you've been, you know, you have to isolate yourself because of this, this contact that you had with this individual. So he went about a week that way and before he told his mom. And um, so then he was in trouble. <laughs> you know how this goes. It doesn't matter that he's about to turn 30, you know, he's still in trouble with his mom. So anyway, um, she said, well, he, and he finally got a, uh, an appointment for a test. And so he went over and he did that, I think it was Thursday of last week. And, um, and then he called Kaiser to get an appointment as well, in case that one fell through. And so then he had two, t two tests right in a row. Uh, one was Thursday, and I think the other was Friday afternoon. And then when he got the, they took the second test, then he loaded his car up and he drove to our house, and he isolated at our house. We just put him in the back room, and um, the dog was all confused. How come I can't play with him? And uh, so we, we would um, fix him food, and we had a little table right there by the door. We'd put it on the table, we'd stand back about 30 feet, and hold on to the dog, you know, because she wants to eat. And, <laughs> and he'd come out and get it, and then the door would close. And we'd talk to him through the door, and it, it was not. So anyway, um, it turns out both of his tests came back negative. And we found that out. The second test came back the day before his 10 days were up. So he continued to isolate for the full 10 days. And then he came out, and he had a day with us before before we, uh, he uh, went back down, he called up his HR at his work and he started work Thursday. So he, he's, he's back at work. Um, and the dog got to play with him and, you know, so it was all good. Um, God is good. Let us never forget that. Um, my reading this week brought me to a peculiar little verse. And just on a lark, I decided to see how many people else had noticed that this one little verse sort of stuck out. And it turns out there were like 40 sermons that were out there about this one verse. I'm a little slower than these other guys, right? And so I, I went to dig it up, and, and it's a mystery why Moses wrote this verse. And it points to an even greater mystery that's locked in the Bible. So it's Genesis 35, 8. Genesis 35, 8. 
And all it says, it says, And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so he called its name Alon Bakuth, and he is Jacob, okay? So Jacob calls this place Alon Bakuth. And Alon Bakuth means plain of tears. So you have to imagine Jacob, this patriarch, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, is moved to tears by the death of his wife's nurse. Now, why is she mentioned here? And why does this particular nurse move Jacob, also known as Israel, by the way, to tears? And the even greater mystery, and this is the one that, that really shocked me because I went looking for it after this and it does not exist, is that the death of Rebekah herself is not mentioned in the Bible. It's not in there. But his nurse is. Why is that? And all the other patriarch wives are explained in detail where they're buried. Rebecca is not. And this place where Deborah, the nurse, dies and is buried are the exact same oaks that 500 years later another Deborah would judge Israel. The exact same place. We don't know the answers to our questions about Deborah the nurse or Rebecca. So we'll have to wait until we get to the get to see Jesus and we're going to have to ask him. Just one of those random things you run into. And like I said, there's 40 sermons that are out there on this one verse. And people are postulating all these theories. It's like it's not in here. You know, don't, don't try and make something up that's, that's not in here. I thought it was fascinating. Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Savior, how great you are, Lord. Heavenly Father, when I read of your greatness and your awesome power, I am overwhelmed. And I know that even the greatest of these things that I can imagine about you fall so far short of who you truly are. Heavenly Father, we are lost. The world drags us back. We are distracted by our sin and our failure, and we forget to look on your Son. Heavenly Father, we ask you to come down this morning and open our hearts so that we do not fall short. Let us not follow after our desires and thoughts, but to seek you and only you. God, give us wisdom to hear the warnings of Isaiah and to heed them. Give us discernment, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys know we're still in Isaiah. That's a good thing. Isaiah keeps pointing us back towards Jesus and to God. And today we're going through Isaiah chapter 11, the whole chapter. It's actually a fairly short chapter. And this passage tells of the righteous root from the stump of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, is the father of David. And this is a prophecy of Jesus. 
It's about who Jesus is and what he shall do for God's people. And Isaiah proclaims Jesus, and we are commanded to wait upon Christ. Enough background. Let's go ahead and start. So verse 1. So we are Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, you notice that this is a stump. That means it's only the remnant that we have here. I thought, Bill, that you were about to ask me a question. You had your hand raised. Okay, no, that's quite all right. (laughs) I'm going, did I mess something up? Jesse is the father of David. We know that Jesus is a descendant of David, the son of David. In fact, he is called in places. And the stump means that only a remnant will survive. But from that small remnant is where Jesus will come from. And that is what this prophecy is about. It turns out that we've heard something like this before out of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's an amazing passage, and the parallels between them are incredibly strong. And Isaiah keeps pointing us back to this same same thing over and over. Verse 2. And here we hear it. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This, the spirit of the Lord, is a fourfold repetition. And of course, we know that the spirit of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shall rest upon this shoot of the stump of Jesse. And we know that this is Jesus. And Jesus will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Only Jesus has these perfectly and completely. Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus, when Jesus comes, Jesus will have all of these. And we know this to be true. In the following passage, Jesse is the head of the household. Samuel is a prophet of the Lord. This is in 1 Samuel 16, 10 to 13. 1 Samuel 16, 10 to 13. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And then he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. 
truly amazing. The Spirit of God rushes upon many, many people in the Old Testament. This is Numbers 11.17. And this is God is talking to Moses. Okay? Numbers 11.17. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. This is where Joseph, I mean, excuse me, Moses chooses 70 of the elders in order to help him judge all the things that are going on with the people. Here's a case where elders have the Lord put upon them shortly thereafter. In Numbers 11, 25, and 27 to 29. Numbers 11, 25, and 27 to 29. Then the Lord came down from the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. And then down to 27 through 29. And a young man ran and told Moses, Elad the Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is interesting because this happens so often in our churches that we have the right thing, and so we need to stop the other people from talking. And I thought what Moses did here was, was very interesting. He says, are you jealous for my sake? Implying that you shouldn't be jealous for me. You should be jealous for God. Would all that the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Amen. Joshua. So here we're in Deuteronomy 34.9. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And of course, we all know that Joshua takes over after Moses dies. So, Judges 3, 9, and 10. <clears throat> Judges 3, 9, and 10. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. Later on in Judges, Judges eleven twenty-nine, Then the Spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizbah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. Judges 13, 25. Judges 13, 25. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him at Manah Dan, between Zorah and Estael. So we have all these recurring places where the Spirit of the Lord rests on people in the Old Testament. Happens over and over and over in the Old Testament. 
And of course, we know this happens in the New Testament as well. Here's a case for the prophets. This is 1 Samuel 10.10. 1 Samuel 10.10. Excuse me. This is for a king. This is King Saul. And he turned his back to leave Samuel. And God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And he prophesied among them. All of this, by the way, is not a new prophecy. It's actually a very ancient one. This was out of my reading this week, my, my personal reading. And because it used certain language, and you'll hear it right here, it'll, it'll get your attention right away. It immediately applied here as well. So this is out of Genesis, Genesis 45, 7 and 8. Genesis 45, 7 and 8. And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is Joseph. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. Now these are the brothers that sold him into slavery. And many years later, not realizing that he was now the highest member of the court of Pharaoh, the brothers come and ask for help. Joseph is the favored son of Jacob, who is called Israel. Joseph was the snot little brother, okay? He was always in the other brothers' faces about I'm the favorite, dad likes me best, na na na. Okay. So he gets sold into slavery. And Benjamin, who is Joseph's only full brother, survives from Rachel, who is Jacob's favorite wife. He's the only other one that survives from Rachel. And Joseph gains power and influence in Egypt. And at this later meeting, the brothers do not recognize Joseph. Joseph knows exactly who these guys are. Yet Joseph realizes he can save his entire family because of where God put him. Genesis 45, 7 and 8. Genesis 45, 7 and 8. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth. Sometimes the family of God narrows down to a very few people. And every single one of us, all of us today, are adopted into the family of God because those very, very few people. Back to Isaiah 11, verses 3 and 4. Talking still about Jesus. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Jesus' delight is in doing his Father's will, in delighting his Father. 
Jesus does not judge by what the eye sees or what the ear hears. Jesus sees and hears and knows truly. Jesus will judge for the poor, the meek, and the humble. And Jesus can strike the earth earth with the rod of his words, and his breath can kill the wicked. In Psalm 19.8, Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And of course, where you hear the order, the poor, the meek, the humble, immediately you have to think of Matthew 5. So Matthew 5, 3 to 10, and this is Jesus on the side of the mountain. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Righteousness and faithfulness are the things that will uphold Christ. This immediately made me think of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, Stand therefore, having your learns girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The, the message here turns slightly. Verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. Here in verse 6, we see those who used to be the enemies of God will change their ways and become adopted sons and daughters of God. This happens over and over as well. Acts 9, 17 and 18. Acts 9, 17 and 18. And this is the conversion of Saul. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, and this is fascinating because Ananias says to him, Brother Saul, not you are my enemy, you are my brother. I had never caught that before. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And this is how Saul becomes a Christian. 
we know him as the Apostle Paul. And I had never caught this before, but in Acts 13, Saul is mentioned three times by name. Listen, so Acts 13, 2. So 13, 2, 13, 9, and 13, 13. We're going to go through these. So Acts 13, 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then skipping down, verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And then skipping down to verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And everywhere else in the book of Acts, after this point, he is always referred to as Paul. I'd never caught that before. That right there is the flip from Saul to being Paul. And that passage also said, and the child shall lead them. Luke 2, 42 and 52. Luke 2, 42 and 52. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So this is Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem and taking their young son, Jesus, who's about 12 years old. And in verse 52, we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And the child shall lead them. How often we miss that. Back to Isaiah 11, verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 11, 7 and 8. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Fascinating here. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Again, repeating the previous ideas that we had before. But here, at the end of verse 8, the nursing child, could that be Jesus? And if it was, so then the cobra would have been Herod. And in the second, the weaned child, again, could be Jesus. And so would the adder's den then be the Pharisees and the scribes questioning Jesus? in the temple? I wonder about these things. I want to go find Isaiah when I get there and ask him, is this what you meant? He's probably going to shrug his shoulders and say, oh yeah, Yeah. right? (laughs) Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Pain, sorrow, and heartbreak will no longer exist on God's holy mountain under the reign of Christ. And all of the earth shall understand the knowledge of the Lord in that day. This is the reconciling love of the new church. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. 
Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So verse 9 is the end of this previous poem that began all the way back in Isaiah 10, 26. Now there's just two verses of prose, a short paragraph of prose, and then we follow with another poem. So the two verses are verses 10 and 11. So verses 10 and 11, and it repeats again. In that day of the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So here in verses 10 and 11, the root of Jesse here is clearly Jesus again that Isaiah is speaking of. And we know that Jesus is the one who shall stand as for all peoples. We know it's our job to carry the good news to those of him shall the nations inquire. And we know that on that day when the new Jerusalem comes down out of the clouds and we all see Jesus seated at the right hand of his father, the most highly exalted place, glorious and majestic. And God will gather together all his children from all the nations everywhere on that day. John 12, 32, this is Jesus speaking. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And the next poem begins in verse 12. So in verse 12, he will rule, raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. God will raise a signal we all shall know. We'll look towards heaven and we'll see it as Jesus calls us to assemble. We are the banished of Israel and we will all be gathered in from the four corners of the earth. Matthew 24, 31. Matthew 24, 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Y'all notice how often we have to jump into the New Testament in order to see the connection here? And so when Matthew, or when John wrote those things down, were they, did they know directly that they were using the exact same words from Isaiah? Maybe they did, or maybe they didn't. I don't know. But, but when we see those words, and it's the same words, it immediately calls to mind these, the connection between these passages. Continuing in verse 13. 
The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. There will be reconciliation here between Israel and Judah. In Ezra 6, 16 to 17, Ezra 6, 16 to 17, and the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house to God 1,000 bulls, 200 rams, excuse me, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. This is in Jerusalem. This is Judah. And Judah is making this sacrifice in the name of all of Israel. I thought that was interesting that Ezra recorded that. Ezra 8.35. Ezra 8.35. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse 14. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. This is a statement so that the reader can understand here that there's freedom from oppression, from subjugation, and from threats that have followed the people of Israel during their time in Canaan. Isaiah 54, 3. You will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Micah 5, 6. Micah 5, 6. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes to our land and treads within our borders. Verse 15. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with its scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. This verse seems to be giving a sense that there's another exodus coming and that it may be partially due to another miracle as in parting, the parting of the Red Sea. Exodus 14, 24 to 27 and in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire, and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand out over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. 
And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. In the final verse, verse 16. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Here in verse 16, we read of a pathway that will be prepared by God for his people to return to the Temple Mount so that the remnant may return. In Isaiah 40, 3, and 5, 3 through 5, Isaiah 40, 3 through 5, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is starting to sound a little bit like John the Baptist, right? Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 57, 14. Isaiah 57, 14. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. And later, further in Isaiah, Isaiah 62, 10 through 12. Isaiah 62, 10 through 12. Go through, go through the gate. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. And verse 16 closes the passage here. The remnant will return. God's people will come back. This is a message of incredible, amazing hope for all of us for that day. And you can see immediately how this all applies to us because all of this, again, is pointing us back to Jesus. All of it is pointing us to Jesus. And it's pointing us back to God Isaiah says, don't look at the Assyrian army. Look at Jesus. This is the message of hope from God. Isaiah is telling us to change the way we live in the world. Isaiah wants us to look at Jesus and to become more like him. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we become like him. I've told you all before how often I fail and how I look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and we all see him riding on the horse with the tattoo on his thigh. And the new Jerusalem will come down and we will see it. And it will be the place that we go to live with God. Indeed, we wait for Jesus to come. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are amazing and incredible. Lord, you have kept your words from the prophet Isaiah down through all these ages, sheltered them just for 
us to have your words here today. You've done this down through the ages just to give these words to us. Heavenly Father, we have been unfaithful, and yet you continue to hold us in the palm of your hand, protecting us. Lord, hide your words in our hearts. Carve the words of your prophet Isaiah deep down inside of us. Give us the lessons that we must learn and understand from you, only from you, and guide us in the ways of your will. Heavenly Father, we are so unfaithful, and you are so true. Your plan of redemption is so perfect that Jesus would come down to die in our place, to redeem us, to save even us. Heavenly Father, you are so amazing, and we love you, Lord. We bless you and honor you, and we praise the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.